As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Wendy. And I'm Jess, and you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast. Your online resource for inclusive and accessible wellness. Welcome back to another episode of the Food Heaven Podcast. Today is part four, the last part actually of our Nutrition Fundamentals series, Nutrition Essentials. You can go back up if you're interested in checking out our previous episodes about nutrition. We've covered a lot of different topics, including macronutrients, our non-diety meal planning strategies, as well as what does healthy eating even mean anymore. So check those out. And then today we are going to be answering your top nutrition questions. So we polled you guys on Instagram to see what are some of those kind of more complex nutrition questions that you want answers to. And we're here to give them to you. Yeah. So some of the questions that we're going to be covering are, should people eat plant-based substitutes? What are the best oils for cooking? How to boost your iron intake? And then ways to eat more fermented foods. We're going to be providing in-depth information. That's why we only picked four questions. But I thought that it would be fun just to start off the episode with one question that's a little more straightforward. Someone asked, what are your favorite ways to incorporate veggies for breakfast? But before we answer that, as usual, I want to take a second to highlight a listener review. And this is from Kate's and Cookies. And they write, this is my very first podcast I've ever listened to. And I am hooked. I'm not the podcast type, but I've learned so much in the past two hours. Thank you both for your knowledge. Thank you, Kate's and Cookies. Yeah, thank you for leaving that review. And if you haven't already, I don't know what you're doing, especially if you're a longtime (laughs) listener. Like, I'm going to need you to go on iTunes and drop five stars immediately. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Or Spotify, because I will say I was curious and I did a poll asking where do people listen to the podcast? And surprisingly to me, Majority of people listen on Spotify now. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, like that's majority so said Spotify. And then second was Apple. And then third was other. So mm. if you listen on Spotify, we need some Spotify love oh my for God. sure. I didn't even know you could <laughs> leave a review on Spotify. Let me go on there right now. I don't know that you can leave a review. I don't know. But I know oh, okay. you can leave a rating. So that's even easier oh. to just because we definitely want to grow on Spotify. And I have been asking friends oh my God, where they yeah, listen. We have like close to 200 on there. Oh, nice. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, make sure yeah, you rate well, us, guys. <laughs> rate us. It takes two seconds. That's cool because it was less last time I checked. It was like 120 something. But um, 
rate us on Spotify. It seems like that's the wave of the future. Mm. My friends are saying that's where they're listening to their pods now. I'm noticing other hosts are sharing their pod on Spotify. By the way, mm-hmm. we have a giveaway for this episode. So stay till the end. Yeah. And then you'll find out what it is. You'll find out what it is. It's a good one. <laughs> it's a goodie. Okay. Back to the icebreaker question. How do you incorporate veggies into your breakfast? Are they asking us personally or just like in general? I think personally. Okay. Do you want to start? Sure. So I like to add them to my eggs. When I make scrambles or omelets, I like using kale or spinach. And sometimes I add them to my smoothies too. Like especially if I can't stomach vegetables for the day. Typically I just do like fruit smoothies with yogurt. But if I'm like PMSing or something and my stomach just like can't really eat a lot of fiber, I'll add some spinach to my smoothie just to get like some extra iron and, you know, like vitamins and stuff like that. Cool, cool. Yeah, I actually don't add veggies to my breakfast anymore. I just have my smoothie, which I mention on here all the time. But if you're a new listener, it's kind of similar to Wendy. Fruit, yogurt, sometimes protein powder, nuts, different nuts, and milk. Yeah. And that does the body good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that was like, it felt very um, revolutionary for me because it's like we are taught that you have to have vegetables that every meal and like it's all intense but I was like I don't actually like vegetables in this smoothie and like I'm done with that and that's okay too because there's so many other opportunities to incorporate them in the day it doesn't have to be just the morning for sure for sure all right so let's get into like the bulky questions so the first one is should people be eating plant-based meat substitutes and so For people who eat meat, I don't think you have to give this too much thought, but for people who are plant-based or plant-forward, eating mostly plant foods, eating these plant-based substitutes can be helpful because they'll help meet your protein needs. And so there's different ones that you can pick from. Tofu, I think, is, you know, one of the most popular ones. There's also tempeh, seitan, textured vegetable protein, which you might find in a lot of like the vegan chicken nuggets, veggie burgers. That's like a popular ingredient that's used. All of these, with the exception of seitan, which is made from wheat, are derived from soybeans. So they're going to offer a significant amount of protein. They all have their benefits when it comes to culinary use. So they each have, you know, their own taste, their own texture profiles. Honestly, I find that for all of these, it just depends on what you cook it with. (laughs) It kind of just takes on whatever, you know, whatever flavors and spices it is that you're cooking them with. But the texture, I think, is going to be the most significant difference. And so what I recommend is going for minimally processed for for any of these really so you know if you're gonna get tofu even if you're gonna get the textured vegetable protein like going for products that don't have a long list of ingredients if you're gonna be using them regularly like if you're having whatever vegan chicken nuggets like you know a few times a month it's really not a big deal but what happens is that They add a ton of salt to the products that are more processed. And so 
you know, that could be a concern if the sodium content is like 40% per serving, which I've seen in some of these products. I'm like, Jesus Christ, because they're, you know, they're trying to make it like appetizing, but you can easily do that at home. Like, for example, with tofu, one of my favorite things to do is to dust it with cornstarch and then pan fry it so that it has more of a texture. And it's just like a very simple way to change up the texture and the flavor. So yeah, I mean, you can get creative in the kitchen with it too. Yeah, I do the same thing with tofu. I add like some cornstarch and then pan fry it and it gives it like a nice crispy flavor. Also for that, it's good to use, I find like a not as firm of a tofu. Yeah. Because it gives it more of like you bite into it and it's like silky versus if it's firm. I don't know. It's just not the same. Firm, I think for everything else works really well. Two things that I just want to share real quick based on what Wendy said. So one with seitan, seitan also has a lot of protein in it. She was just saying that seitan doesn't have soy just in case anyone was confused by that. So seitan is something that if you are trying to add more protein, you're going to definitely get protein from that as well. In addition to all the other things. And then the other thing that might be confusing because she had mentioned like, oh, the sodium was 40% daily value. That's a lot. So just explaining like what daily value is. So when you're reading the back of a nutrition facts label, you know how they have like the percent daily value of everything, like all the different nutrients that can give you some really helpful information for like what's in that and how that compares to like your overall daily intake of things. So without making it like too convoluted, like Anything that is over 20% is considered considered high and anything under 5% is considered low. So if you are someone who's like, oh, I have hypertension and I really want to watch my sodium intake, maybe I'll try to choose foods that have under 20% daily value of sodium because those would be not high, right? Or if you can get under like 10 or 5%, even better, but that might be hard. So that way, if you're comparing labels and you see something that has 40% daily value of sodium, like, and you have hypertension and you know, you're sensitive to salt, then maybe you might want to choose something that has a little bit less. If you guys want, like, feel free to DM us if you want us to do a whole episode on daily value, because I, we used to do uh, nutrition presentations on it. And I feel like there's a lot of confusion and it's actually very simple once you know how to read them. So we can do that. Just send us a DM saying daily value. Mm, That's a great idea. Yeah. Maybe we should add on to the series. Mm -hmm. And actually (laughs) one point on the sodium too, even if you're not hypertensive, it's important to be mindful of sodium intake because I find, especially in the United States, like food, when you go out, it's like ridiculous how much salt restaurants add to food and food products. And that could put you at a higher risk for hypertension, especially if you have a family history of hypertension. And like, I say that because both my parents are like hypertensive and it came on like in their forties. And so it's something that I'm super particular about because I love salt. (laughs) Literally, like when I was a kid, I would eat the bouillon cubes, like just straight. I would just like snack on those. I'm a salty girl. I have an affinity for salt. And so it's something that I, you know, I try to be aware of, even though my blood pressure is like very high, but I do monitor it you know like a few times a year because I'm like I am at a higher risk so you know just like you do want to be mindful and also I find that once you kind of get used to eating a certain amount of salt it's hard to kind of like 
reel it back. (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense. So if you're just like, you're not really paying attention and you're like, oh, you know, I'm just used to like eating things that are this level of salty. If you ever do need to cut back for a medical reason, your tolerance is already going to be really high. So it might be more challenging for you. And so, you know, I think it's just something that is good to be aware of when you're shopping, especially for processed food, like, oh, how much sodium does this have? What does that actually taste like? You know, so you have that awareness there. Yeah. I could go on about salt because the other thing is, so when anyone is trying to be more aware of their salt, they always stop adding salt to their food at the dinner table, Mm -hmm. but yet they're not looking at anything else. And I'm here to tell you from a dietitian perspective, the dinner table is not where you are getting excessive amounts of salt at all. Yeah. It is going out to eat, like Wendy said, or processed foods, which, you know, we are advocates of including processed foods in your diet in a way that works for you and your goals and your health goals. But yeah, just keep in mind that you can still shake it like a salt shaker. (laughs) Which side (laughs) note, I have been having like the illest PMS cravings. So the other day I went through the McDonald's drive-thru to get fries because like I I think they make the best fries. And Lord have mercy, child. They didn't pour that whole salt shaker onto them fries. And it's like you can never gauge it because like sometimes they undersalt and then a lot of times they oversalt. And I was like, holy Jesus. It was so much salt, girl. I was like, oh, man, I need to measure my blood pressure. I love those McDonald's fries. They're so Mm. good. They're so crispy. Yeah, they're perfect. Yeah, they might be the best. In and out's good too, but yeah, okay, we don't have focus. That. <laughs> so, so yeah, as we said, enjoy your processed meat, right? Like I have processed meat on a weekly basis, like multiple times a week, and also it's like for my particular health, the salt is not as much of a concern because I actually have low blood pressure, and my mom has low blood pressure too. It kind of runs in our family, so it's interesting because like my mom also craves a lot of salty food, and I wonder if that has to do with blood pressure being low. I don't know. There's not really that much information out there on like salt and low blood pressure. Anyway, one other thing that we want to talk about is soy, because one of the most common questions we get asked is, or not even the questions. It's more like we mentioned soy and someone's like, how could you mention that? Soy is horrible. Oh my God. (laughs) And it's like, really? Do you think that as dietitians and I mean, I get it, like whatever, but not everyone knows everything. But don't you think that like we've come across this question before or we've looked into this? Yeah. (laughs) Over our six years. Every time we post like soy milk, tofu, it's like endocrine disruptor. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not I mean, it's not to laugh, but it's just like I'm in a mood because with Instagram, right? I just cannot, you know, you post something. Here's the thing. It takes a lot of effort to put something out there. And when you get comments, like I posted a sweet potato pie, a purple sweet potato pie that went kind of went viral, actually. I think it's our most shared recipe ever. Mm-hmm. And then you get the trolls and it's like, this is a whitewashed recipe. Okay, really? Because like, this is my family recipe and I'm black. So like, how does that work? Or like, how dare you not add like these things? Or someone said, I'm getting a headache looking at this. And my thing is like, then don't <laughs> like, right. get off my page. Right. <laughs> so with the soy, I know that there's confusion there and we want to clear it up. So soy is by far the most controversial plant food. 
Having said that, there are over 10,000 peer-reviewed journal articles on soy, making it one of the most researched foods. So yes, it's controversial. And also there's a lot of research. So the common things people want to know are, is eating soy the same as taking estrogen? No, it's not. We have actually done two podcast episodes on this topic. If you really want all the details, we are going to add them in the show notes. But if you just Google food heaven and soy, they'll come up. One is, is it safe to eat soy? And the second is controversial foods, soy, eggs, and coconut oil. So basically, in a nutshell, no, taking soy is not the same as taking estrogen. It's just not. And we'll explain the science. The other thing is it makes men grow breasts and things like that. Like that also is not the case. And this was really based off of two case studies where men were eating 14 to 20 servings of soy per day, which who is eating 14 to 20 servings of soy per day of anything per day. And they developed tender enlarged breast tissue. However, that is not the case in all of the other 10,000 clinically controlled trials. And this was for up to six servings of soy per day, right? So you're probably not even having six servings. Same thing with breast cancer. No, it does not increase the risk. Same thing with thyroid. The thing with thyroid is that for hypothyroid, which I actually have, and I am on medication with people on medication, changes in your soy intake may require changes to your thyroid medication since soy protein affects medication absorption. So that is one thing. So discuss that with your doctor if you're making any changes there. But yeah, overall soy has been consumed in Asia for 1500 years. It's considered equivalent to animal protein. It's highly digestible and it actually has like many health benefits. But if you want more of the details, check out those episodes. Period. Now on to the second (laughs) question. (laughs) All right. So which oils are best for cooking? And I feel like this is something we've covered before on the podcast, but I don't remember at this point. We've been doing this for so many years. (laughs) (laughs) But the short answer is it depends on what you're making because different oils have different spoke points. And that means that it makes those oils appropriate for different types of cooking. So if you're going for like a cold pressed oil, a very unrefined oil, example, extra virgin olive oil, those oils are going to be a much better fit for like salad dressings, for example, or like a finishing drizzle. And they're going to have a richer flavor too, you might notice. They're going to break down very easily under heat. And so if you're going to be cooking, I'm going to go over like some oils that are appropriate for different types of temperature of cooking. Essentially, any healthy oil can become unhealthy if you're cooking it at the wrong temperature. So for example, like let's say you're going to be grilling or you're going to be frying. You want an oil that's very heat stable. So for example, that's going to be avocado oil, canola oil, corn oil, peanut oil, refined olive oil is okay too. It can withstand higher temperatures over 375 degrees. Now for baking, it depends what the baking temperature is going to be. But, you know, I feel like the standard is 350. <laughs> I think everyone just just puts like preheat and it automatically goes to 350 and then they just <laughs> leave it there. <laughs> but up to 350, all of the ones that I mentioned are fine. You can use those as well. For sauteing, 
the temperature is a little lower, so you have a little more flexibility there. Sauteing is usually like 300 degrees. So you can use the avocado oil, you can use sesame seed oil, coconut oil, sunflower seed oil. You can even use certain types of extra virgin olive oil for sauteing. Now, I just want to make a note, coconut oil is very high in saturated fat with, you know, all of the food trends catching on fire. Coconut oil was one of those where people were like, oh, the bulletproof coffee. I'm going to drink coconut oil. I've had so many patients that are like, oh, yeah, I'm adding it to my smoothies. And then their cholesterol is like insane. And I'm like, have you been? That's like my go to question. I'm like, have you been consuming coconut oil, (laughs) especially my my Caribbean patients? And they're like, yes, I have. I've also been drinking coconut milk and drinking lots of coconut water. I'm like, oh, Lord. So, you know, you just want to keep that in mind. It doesn't mean that you can't use coconut oil in your cooking. It's just like you don't want to use a lot of it. You want to be mindful of the serving size because all that saturated fat isn't great for your heart. Now, another way that you can kind of visually see if an oil is breaking down is if it's smoking. We've all been there where you're like, you know, you're making something in the kitchen and maybe the fire is on too high. And the next thing you know, it's a smoke fest. That means that the oil has broken down. You've overcooked it and it's past is smoke point. So that's another way to to kind of gauge that as well. Now, the healthiest oils to cook with are high in unsaturated fats and antioxidants. So that's going to be your avocado oil, extra virgin olive oil, sunflower, safflower oil. There's a lot of conversation around GMO when it comes to oils and kind of like that impacting their quality, the production process for oils. I've seen this a lot with like corn oil, canola oil. People like don't consume it. It's really bad for you. I mean, personal take, right? Because the science is like still kind of evolving around this. Like I'm not guzzling oil and I don't think anyone should be. So if you're enjoying any type of fat really as part of your cooking. I mean, if you have certain medical needs like, you know, heart disease, for example, you have high cholesterol, then sure. Like I told you with the coconut oil or palm oil, for example, or well, I don't even know that a lot of people, well, subcultures, they still use lard for cooking. Like those are going to be more saturated or even butter, you know, so you just want to be mindful of like how much you're having with that. But if it's like a vegetable oil, I'm not going to break my head, you know, being like, oh, my God, is the GMO like, is this going to, you know, kill me? Probably not. You know, I I really don't think it's that big of a deal, especially if you're following those guidelines for smoke points. Yep. Love those guidelines. Great. So that's your oils. Now, (laughs) the third question is iron always comes up. I don't know why. Maybe just because anemia, the prevalence of anemia. So the person asked, how can I boost my iron intake? My first question back to that person is, why do you want to boost your iron intake? Because let's just get to the bottom of that, right? So are you anemic? That might be a reason why you want to boost your intake. Or do you feel like during your menstrual cycle, you are a heavy bleeder and then maybe you need to replenish by adding some more iron, right? So I think that there are some reasons why you may want to add more iron and it could be helpful to know what that reason is for you because two things, one, you might require a supplement to fully meet your needs. And the other thing is 
you may not need a supplement to meet your needs because iron is one of those things where you really want to, especially if you're, at, you're doing a supplement, you really want to make sure that you're not getting too much of it. It's kind of like one of those fine line type of things. So if you're concerned, I would recommend going to your doctor and asking for a blood test to see if you're low in iron. Some of the things that might trigger you to look into this are some of the symptoms of low iron or anemia. So that could be fatigue, pale skin and fingernails, weakness, dizziness, headaches. So if you're having those symptoms, then it's definitely warranted to get your levels checked. So typically like in general, when you're getting a checkup, they're going to do a CBC, which is complete blood count. And that is going to look at your hemoglobin and hematocrit. If those things are low, then that might be an indicator that you need more information and you might want to do some more studies. So in particular, what studies do you do? I'm only mentioning them because from my experience working with doctors as the dietitian in the clinic, they don't always know what tests to do. And so they usually will ask us. And if you're in a situation like that, what I want you to take from this is don't just go by low hemoglobin and hematocrit. Ask for more testing to confirm that it's an iron deficiency because there are other deficiencies that can cause low H&H. So you can look at your ferritin levels. That's your storage form of iron. That is going to show that your iron is kind of approaching getting low before it's like, like not, I wouldn't say really bad, but you know, before you have low serum iron, which is your blood levels of iron. So ferritin is a really good one. If your serum iron is low, that means that, you know, it's kind of something that's maybe been developing for a, a long time and you definitely probably need to consult with your doctor about taking a supplement. You can also check your transferrin or your total iron binding capacity. So there's a few different things, but I would start with maybe ferritin and then see how that comes out. Now, if you find that you just want to get some more sources of iron from your diet, just in general, you're not looking to take supplements. There are a few different things that you can consider, a few different types of foods. Number one is animal sources of iron. The body absorbs two to three times more iron from animal sources than from plant sources. So if you are a meat eater, it is your best bet to lean in on some of these iron-rich meat foods because you're just going to absorb them better. They're under the category of heme iron. So that includes lean beef, oysters, chicken, and turkey. Those are the top, you know, some of the top sources. There's other ones, but lean in on the lean beef. <laughs> now, if you are a vegetarian or vegan and you're not eating those foods, totally get it. Then you can still get iron from plant sources, right? Like every bite counts. And one thing you can do to help increase the absorption from the plant sources is adding vitamin C to vegetarian sources of iron, because that's going to enhance absorption. So you could have like maybe some orange juice with whatever you're eating to help it absorb better or anything that contains vitamin C. And the specific foods that are plant-based under the category of non-heme iron that contain iron are beans and lentils, tofu, baked potatoes, cashews, dark leafy vegetables, such as spinach, Fortified breakfast cereals is another one, and then whole grain and enriched breads. So all of those things will help you meet your iron needs. If you're going to supplement, make sure you know your levels. And that's that. 
Yeah. Oatmeal is a really good one that I feel like most people like. And it has a good good amount of iron in there. Also, if you're iron deficient, make sure that you get follow-up testing to see if it's resolved. Another type of anemia is B12 anemia. And what I've seen in the clinic is that someone might be diagnosed with either of these, B12 or iron. And then they're supplementing and they don't get follow-up testing. They just keep supplementing. And then next thing you know, their levels are too high. <laughs> Like, yep. especially for B12, it's like insanely high. And I'm like, you need to stop supplementing. <laughs> so get your testing done every six months, I would say six to 12 months just to see where you're at with that. Yeah. Oh, wait, can I just make a disclaimer? Probably should have said this at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. This does not substitute for medical or dietitian advice IRL. We're just giving general information. Don't sue us. Right. thanks for saying that right all right so the last question we're gonna answer what are some ways to eat more fermented foods this is a fun question so fermented foods I feel like that's kind of like another trending food category right now there's a lot of benefits to eating fermented foods Before, a lot of cultures would use fermentation to preserve food, to extend the shelf life. And now that we have science and we have research, we've learned that during this fermentation process, there's bacteria that's produced. They synthesize vitamins and minerals. They produce peptides. And all of these things have been shown to have a lot of health benefits. They lower blood pressure. They have antimicrobial, anti-carcinogenic properties. They have anti-inflammatory effects. Like there's a lot of good benefits to eating fermented foods. Now, some examples include yogurt, One of my favorites, I add it to my smoothie every day, kefir, which if you're not familiar with kefir, it's kind of similar to yogurt, honestly. From what I recall, it's not as thick. So, you you know, you don't have to like add water to your smoothie, for example, if you're adding like yogurt or like a plant milk, you could just add the, you know, the drinkable kefir. I might be wrong, though. I'm not sure. That's what I've seen in the supermarket. Kombucha, which was like trending before, but not as much now. I don't I don't know what happened there, but it does have some good, you know, fermentation going on there. Kimchi, miso, sauerkraut, sourdough bread, tempeh, all of these are examples of fermented foods. What are some of your favorite fermented foods, Jess? Or like, how do you incorporate them into your diet? Yeah, well, sauerkraut, which I used to think was disgusting. But then I started, I don't know, I got it from Trader Joe's and it was good. And I put that on everything. (laughs) Salad, tacos. That's my main one. I also do like, I don't know how to say kefir, kefir. I do like that as well. Like just can be in a smoothie or just having some of it. Also prebiotics are great as well because those are the precursor to probiotics or it's like the the food your probiotics need to survive and thrive. So I try to incorporate those. So sometimes with like leeks, those are a good source of prebiotics or bananas, especially if they are not as ripe that can have some prebiotics as well so yeah I try to just get a mixture yeah of everything what about you you know funny enough because I do think that fermented foods have a certain taste because they've been fermenting (laughs) they're usually Mm kind of sour so I'm not crazy about fermented foods in terms of like flavor profile I get their benefits and everything I don't like kimchi can't say I'm crazy about kombucha either I do love a good fizzle so I think that's kind of like what I'm 
what I'm, you know, what's appealing to me. But yeah, yogurt, I can't eat yogurt on its own. I'll have it in a smoothie because the flavor is kind of masked with the fruit. Even sourdough, it has that like sour taste. So I'm not <laughs> crazy about it either. However, if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with miso because it's oh, yeah. so packed with flavor. You don't need much like, you know, just a tablespoon incorporated into your cooking. Like it brings out just yeah, it brings out a lot with like savory meals. So I do enjoy eating that. Yeah, I forgot to say I'm this. I'm a sourdough girly. I love sourdough. Yeah, so much. I know oh, you do. So good. You said, you know, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I have a load of sourdough like in the freezer. Yeah. Yeah. Freeze it's your so bread, good. folks. Freeze it. It's, yeah. That's kept Well, well you got to like, tell people about our giveaway. Yeah. That's what I was just looking at, making sure it still works. Okay. <laughs> so you, we have this giveaway. We've been giving it away for the whole nutrition series. Like we said, we had a lot of people love the giveaway. So we're just going to keep it going. This is your last chance to get it. It is our 100 plus mix and match gentle nutrition meal and snack ideas guide. It's great. I love it. It helps you figure out like what it counts as a protein. What's a starch? What's a fat? What's, you know, obviously, I mean, not obviously like vegetables. Sometimes people aren't really sure like what's a starchy vegetable. What's a non-starchy vegetable. There's different smoothie combos. There's a hunger fullness guide in there. There's literally everything. There are pictures. It's 18 pages. I can't speak for it highly enough, even though it's my own thing. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just <laughs> delusional. Yeah, bias. <laughs> so what you do is go to Instagram, follow us at Food Heaven, then send us a DM and just put guide. That's it. And then we're going to automatically send it to you. No questions asked. And while we're at it, if you're someone who's like, oh, I need more info about that soy because I'm not really convinced, I will create a whole new thing for soy. So if you DM us soy, I will send our podcast episodes and also a good, really good worksheet about soy and like the facts on that. And you'll get that automatically. So I'll just send us a DM soy. Wow, girl, you Mm -hmm. are just committing to this work. Oh, I'm committing. I really actually love this kind of thing, like these automated. I, I know. Things. I'm like, you have a word for literally everything. I have a word. Yeah. If you, we're, listen, like we are going to start. Well, I was going to say we're going to start a trend of just making the podcast more interactive in that way, because it's like, why not? I like it's that. an easy way for, for y'all to get follow up information. You don't have to do anything but send us a DM. It automatically will send to you until we turn it off. So, yeah. I We're like going to continue. Also, this is the last episode in our Nutrition Essentials series, which we've had so much fun recording. And next week, we're going to re-air one of our favorite podcast episodes of all time. It is with the one and only superstar RD, Marcy Evans. But we're not necessarily talking about dietetics. We talk about the research she has done on social comparison theory. So if you are somebody who is always comparing yourself to other people, especially on Instagram, you definitely want to check this one out. In 2023, we are going to be kicking off the year super strong and starting a new series all about habits. So if you are somebody who typically starts a New Year's resolution and then doesn't continue it, this series is for you. 
The first episode is going to be just Wendy and myself talking about 23 small nutrition habits that can make a big difference in your life. Secondly, we are going to talk about how to incorporate a joyful movement routine in the new year. After that, we're going to have two rockstar dietitians on our podcast who host the What the Fork podcast, and we're going to talk about TikTok trends that need to die for 2023 and also practical habits we can all adopt and how to go about that. And then our last episode in this series is starring the one and only Gretchen Rubin, who is the habits master. And she is going to talk about the different personality types when it comes to forming new habits and all of the science behind forming a new habit. She has two books about habits and we love what she has to say. So make sure to stay tuned for our habits episode in the new year. All right. Catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Food Heaven podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to connect with us online. We're most active on the gram at Food Heaven, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Food Heaven Show. If you like this podcast, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. Yep, our podcast is released every Wednesday, and each week we take a deep dive into topics like health at every size, food and culture, intuitive eating, mental health, and body acceptance. If you're looking for a sustainable and inclusive path to wellness, come hang out with us to learn how to take care of yourself from the inside out. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.